ever wonder if the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, CMS, does anything helpful for physicians, or if all the data they collect is used for anything other than to lower payments to doctors? Stay tuned to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, your host, and with me today is Dr. Peter Bach. Dr. Bach is an associate attending physician at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York. He's a member of the Health Outcomes Research Group and from 2005 to 2006 served as senior advisor to the administrator of the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, where he oversaw the agency's cancer initiatives, evidence development work, and data policy. He is a member of the Institute of Medicine's National Cancer Policy Forum. He's the well-known author of a paper demonstrating that CT screening for lung cancer may have no benefit. Dr. Bach, during your tenure at CMS, you were involved in evidence development and data policy. Let me toss out some issues and hope you'd share with us what you may have learned. One, near and dear to my heart, and I know you've spoken on this, and certainly next to my heart is, of course, my wife, but you know, next to her is pay for performance. Dr. Andy Hedberg, President Emeritus of the American College of Physicians, wrote in the New York Times, the presence of a strong base of primary care physicians improves the quality of health care. It's a failure of public policy that measures have not been taken to enhance the primary care force in America. Measures to reverse this problem include increasing reimbursement for primary care. What's your concept of pay-for-performance, and how are we going to make it meaningful? Pay-for-performance is a, a notion taken out of mostly the manufacturing industry, which has as its, as its key element that parts of the system should be paid more, reimbursed more, rewarded more when they perform their tasks better. And we're not at all comfortable, and I don't think we should get too comfortable with thinking of doctors as cogs in a system. But right now, we're probably pretty far from doctors functioning in an optimal way. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Some of it is reimbursement and poor financial structure. But some of it is just lack of adherence to high-quality evidence-based medicine, even when it is easily possible to adhere to it. So pay-for-performance came up out of an idea that doctors need to be paid to some extent by the quality of the care that they provide within the constraints of their system. And I don't need to rattle off 400 examples that have been produced in various places of underperforming routine care, but you know the statistics and your listeners know them as well as I do, that if you look in the U.S. of people who are having their blood pressure managed, only 40% of them have it adequately controlled. If you look at the use of cancer screening tests, they're lower than they should be. If you look at the use of beta blockers or ACE inhibitors or any of the therapies that we know prolong life, they're not being used in an appropriate way. They're not necessarily being dosed correctly. And there's lots of reasons for that. There's patients who choose not to have the therapies. There's barriers within the sort of pharmaceutical distribution system and coverage system. There's lots of reasons. But one of the reasons clearly is that Doctors don't necessarily practice based on evidence at the level that they should, and they don't necessarily emphasize the services that provide the greatest value routinely. But don't you have to turn this pay-for-performance into something that's also meaningful to the doctor without creating a new gatekeeper, in a sense? I read in Community Oncology, this was September, October 2005, where you said, we would like high-quality outpatient care to be appropriately reimbursed and a system where payment for performance takes into account the impact of care on total spending on patients. 
I mean, that sounds like a different approach to what's doing. I mean, United Healthcare and what, what is Medicare going to give? 2% to people that jump through hoops? 2% doesn't mean anything to anyone. You, know, you go, open up the Wall Street Journal and some kid at Goldman Sachs gets, you know, a bonus that's more than most of us earn in three years. The pay for performance has to translate into something that's meaningful to the doctors. And it sounded like you were saying that. And I just, did I misread you or? The aggregate amount does probably matter if you think of pay for performance purely as the only incentive within the system. And, you know, the Goldman Sachs example is apt. I don't know this kid at Goldman Sachs, but I certainly know the example and my expectation is that the size of that bonus is directly linked to the amount of money he made for the firm. And that is pay for performance writ large. That's the nature of the financial services industry, is that these things are directly linked. We are nowhere close to that with healthcare reimbursement, particularly for physician services, where we pay doctors when they do things, to a large extent, irregardless of whether they're appropriate, irregardless of the quality of the service that is delivered, right? A surgeon who does a high-quality prostatectomy gets paid the same as a surgeon who does a prostatectomy that leads to complications. And we pay, essentially, irregardless if the service is entirely redundant. If an echo is done in two different facilities a few days apart, it's quite likely to be reimbursed both times, even if the second echo is done because, for whatever reason, the echo report isn't obtained from the first doctor. So, absolutely, if you just put in a 2% fee in there on top of it, and you create a whole bunch of reporting requirements, uh, I think pay for performance has very little prospect of success. If you think of it as a more global assessment, and looking at the health plans and how they're assessed with the HEDIS measures and the extent to which they are obligated to report on numerous sort of quality metrics across their beneficiaries, irrespective of the doctors they go to, you start to get a sense of a more global system that actually rewards doctors more globally for what they do in the way that Goldman Sachs employee you mentioned is rewarded. And, you know, I would ask a different question of you, which is, you know, should we continue with this sort of no-bid contract approach in Medicare that we have where doctors can enroll because they have a license, and then if they provide services to Medicare beneficiaries, they get paid based on a schedule? Or should we have a system where providing care to patients in Medicare, just as in the private plans, is a privilege to be earned and, and guarded closely because it's important to the pride of our profession that we are sure that our elderly patients who need us and who need high-quality care are getting access to the doctors who are most likely to provide that. And I think that's something that all doctors are easily capable of doing. But right now, we have no systems in place to assure it's happening and no incentives in place to encourage it to happen. I'd love to answer that and come back in just a moment after welcoming those who are just joining us. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and with me today is Dr. Peter Bach from the Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. We're discussing what Medicare can teach us. <laughs> That's a fabulous question, and it would be great to do this as a panel discussion as well. I think there should be a privilege involved. I think a lot of the problem has to do with, as you say, it's regulating the system because there's so few things that work. They tried DRGs, and yet somehow that didn't really work. And so if you say, okay, you repeated the test, you're not going to get paid for it, well, that's logical. I also trained at Boston Children's as a cardiologist, and you know we'd get great cath films from another hospital, and they say, these are wonderful, but we need our own data. <laughs> there's a certain part of not trusting the other guy. I would allow doctors to balance bill. And then I would go to a free market economy that says to the patient, here's the fee schedule. 
your doctor has the right to accept it. You know, say it's a Blue Cross contract, and you're going to get paid 80% of bill charges. Patient doctor can't reimburse you. Okay, you can choose that doctor. Another doctor might say, you know what, I'm going to balance bill you 50%. Okay, you go to that doctor. Let people pick and choose a little bit. Maybe that way quality will fall out. And again, I know you, it's easy to fool a patient. If you talk slickly, they think you're wonderful. So it's an immense problem. And I'd love to think about that for a while and then come back and do another show with you. Well, I, I would like that too. And remember, in Medicare, doctors can do a bit of a version of what you're talking about. They can be choose to be full participatory providers, in which case they have to accept the Medicare fee. But there's a hybrid, and I unfortunately can't pull up the name right now, there's a hybrid relationship you can have with Medicare where you can collect, I think, usually about 115% of the fee, but you have to collect everything after the 80% yourself. That You can't use coinsurance, is my recollection. And then you can non-participate, in which case you can still see Medicare patients and their self-pay. So you can do that. The reality is that virtually all physicians do see Medicare patients, and irrespective of these fluctuations or even fears of fluctuations in the fee schedule, doctors continue to see Medicare patients. And that's a good thing, but I think it actually creates a challenge for the profession because I don't think that right now we can guarantee these beneficiaries that every Medicare provider they go to see will provide them the highest quality of care. And that, again, is not a critique of doctors. I think every one of us who went into this profession did so because we aspire to provide the highest quality of care and the best health outcomes to our patients. And we obviously have the capabilities, if we can pass organic chemistry, to practice medicine also. But, you know, right now the systems aren't in place, the incentives aren't in place. There's too many hoops, as you mentioned, for doctors to jump through to focus all of their energies on it. Now, I do think you've, you know, I've been advocating, if you will, for a while for prospective payment of doctors, meaning that doctors should be increasingly paid for providing overall care to patients with complex illnesses, you know, either on a fixed fee basis or a per month basis or a one lump sum or something like that, moving more and more towards something that looks like the DRG system. And you just mentioned it. Remember, the DRG system is what you're really talking about is inpatient prospective payment. Patient goes into the hospital, the hospital gets a check. And it's based on the extent of the complexity and the type of condition the patient has. The hospital gets that check. And if the patient's out in 25 hours or the patient's out in four days, the amount of that check doesn't vary. There's obviously outlier payments, but leaving that aside, that's the notion of prospective payment. And there's no reason we shouldn't be able to pay doctors, particularly the ones who take care of longitudinal chronic conditions, but also the ones who take care of relatively well patients. There's no reason we shouldn't be able to pay them that way, at which point they don't have to go through either the documentation that they go through, nor do they have a real upside in ordering additional tests that they get revenues from. They don't have the incentive any longer to open an imaging center one floor beneath them, to order extra tests, to do referrals amongst one another, to generate more fees, or any of those other things. And if we move to that sort of thing, the DRG system in hospitals effectively stopped and then caused to decline the rise in hospital costs in Medicare when it went from a sort of fee-for-service to a DRG system. And I think the belief is that it made hospitals more efficient and more thoughtful about what they were doing. And so I differ with you that that was a failure of healthcare reform. I would argue it's maybe one of the most important things Medicare did, and obviously the private payers followed, to improve quality and contain cost growth during its history. Again, as a pediatrician, I don't deal with it too often, and it's wonderful to hear, you know, that's why I said, what does Medicare teach us to see that perspective from the other side? I remember way back in my training, they were talking about ambulatory 
diagnostic groups or ADGs, and that didn't that sounds sort of what you're talking about, but it hasn't come into being. There are only a handful of examples, like uh, some nephrologists who are paid to take care of patients who are on dialysis receive monthly or sort of per month payments, and it's a handful of examples. There's a few bundled services that start to look like that, but we're a very long way right now from taking, I don't know, pediatric payments, if you will, and saying, okay, well, child visits, you get a monthly fee per child, and everything's in there, or something like that. Well, the other, you really would need a national healthcare system for that to work, because people don't stay with an insurance company long enough for them to do anything over a longitudinal time. Right, I agree. It would, it would cause some challenges. Peter, I'd like to thank you so much for spending so much time with us today and being my guest on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your comments and questions. Please visit us at ReachMD.com and explore our extensive on-demand program library and podcast features. Thanks for listening. I wish you good day and good health.